0: Come and worship the Holy God. Please have a seat and join me in prayer. Our Lord God, we just come before you knowing that you are God and we are not. You are holy and we are not. You are almighty and we are not. You are all powerful and we are not. Lord, you are God. You are all loving, all perfect, and we are not. Lord, you are righteous, and we are not. But Father, through Jesus, through Jesus we see you. We see all that you are. And through Jesus we are made right before God, and for that we are just so grateful. Lord, as we sit in that, in, as we sit in your holiness and the fact that we are not, we just come before you humbly, letting go of ourselves so that by your Spirit you can make us holy. You can make us righteous. You can make us love like you love. You can make us forgive like you forgive because by your Spirit we can do these things. Father, I just thank you that by, um, by Jesus, that bondage of sin which makes us unholy, which makes us unrighteous, um, is broken, that by your spirit we can uh, just be Christ-like to others, to those around us. Lord, I just pray over this morning, I thank you for this time of worship that we can just look to you to recognize who you are, to bring us back to remembering who you are, your holiness, your righteousness, and worship you. Lord, I just want to bring to you um, that chance we have to be Christ like to others and to spread the word. Lord, you commissioned us to teach others, to go out into the world, to teach, to teach others about you. And, Father, just as we bring this um, Alpha course um, in the coming weeks, Father, I just pray over that. Lord, I pray over um, Zoran and Beg as they open their house to you. Father, by your spirit, give them the words to say. Give others there that come the words to stay say, to reach others. Lord, I pray that you... Um, uh, encourage or just touch the hearts of those who might need to hear your word through that course and draw them into it. Lord, your word changes people and I just pray that that is a time that people are changed. And Lord, now I pray as uh, we uh, go into the rest of this service, Lord, as Sam brings uh, the message to to us this morning, Father, I pray that you change us you change us this morning, that we don't listen and walk away, but we hear your word. By your spirit, you touch our lives this morning and that we can go out into the world changed and um, just desiring to teach others about you and change others too by your spirit. So, Lord, we just commission this time now to you. May your spirit come and be in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. before I hand over to Sam, I have a Bible reading. I actually don't know how I'm going to do this. (laughs) Can I have some help, please? (laughs) I don't think I can hold my beautiful big fat Bible. Yeah. And a microphone at the same time. So Sam is continuing on um, our series on Acts. And I'm going to read you... um, Acts 9, 1 through to uh, 30, so I encourage you to uh, grab your Bibles out or your Bible apps, whichever way you um, have brought your Bible today, and to read along with me, but don't notice all the words I get wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So it's about Saul's conversion, so Acts 9, starting at chapter, uh, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, "'Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street "'and ask for a man man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. "'In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias "'come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I have heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. "'And he has come here with authority from the chief priests "'to arrest all who call on your name.' But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hand on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them, moved about free, freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, and they tried to kill him. But they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to, to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus.
1: Morning, everyone. It's great to be with you again this morning, um, and I'm going to mirror that of, of I, I say this pretty much every week, I hope you don't notice the words that I get wrong. <laughs> but It is true, uh, Mon said that the Word of God changes us, and uh, I pray that that be the case this morning. My name is Sam Barnes, I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you're watching online particularly, I just want to welcome you and trust that the Word changed you this morning. Uh, that as you hear this message, that you'd be touched, uh, as we all, uh, gather around his wonderful, precious word to us. Well, we are in Acts, as, uh, Mon mentioned. And, uh, we're almost in double digits, which is good, I think. But before we get to the to today's message, I want to ask an important question it's a question that probably many of us ask around the barbecue or the dinner table with with friends uh, in different contexts and that is who is the greatest uh, we might ask who is the greatest singer, for example um, or was that a family member? Who's the greatest family member? Did that come out there? Uh, you know, is it, I don't know, Frank Sinatra or Michael Jackson? You might be an Elvis fan or something like that. And there might be conjecture as to, to who is the greatest. And it can be in all sorts of genres. Who is the greatest artist, painter? Is it Van Gogh? Is it Andy Warhol, Picasso, Michelangelo? Who's the greatest sports person? Uh, you know, you might have a, have a favourite, and it might be based on your love of a particular sport. And so there might be an argument as to who is the greatest sports person. Uh, one of my being in a band, who's the greatest band that's ever been around? Uh, is it I don't know, U two? Is it Seraphs Cole? Serif's Cole? <laughs> I've actually got that written here as a joke. <laughs> And you did it for me. Awesome, is it? Sarah Skull? That was the band I was in. If you didn't didn't know that, um, Rolling Stones, Beatles. You know, some people are of the opinion that the Rolling Stones are better than the Beatles. What? Exactly. If that if you hold that opinion, there's a door there at the back of the church. <laughs> Feel free to exit at any time you like. But there, there is debate, isn't there, over these, these questions of who is the greatest in these genres. I want to ask you a question. Who is the greatest theologian or church influencer? Who is the greatest theologian or church influencer? Is it, I don't know, Tertullian or Augustine? Is it uh, John Wesley? Is it Martin Luther, Bonhoeffer, C.S. Lewis? while there's arguments over those other things i think we can probably all agree hopefully <laughs> that the apostle paul was probably the greatest theologian and church influencer in church history after all he did write half of the new testament that we have in our bibles 27 books in in the new testament and I don't know, some conjecture as to some of the books that he wrote, but perhaps 12 to 13 books is written by the Apostle Paul. We have great sayings on cards and on frames on our walls and uh, things like that because of the Apostle Paul and his his wonderful letters to to the church. He was the greatest theologian and church influencer. Yet he wasn't always like this. He wasn't this wasn't always the case. In fact, the apostle the uh, Luke as he records uh this story, this is big for him. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. In fact, Luke records this story not once, but three times. Uh in Acts 22 and Acts 26, we also have this story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul and Paul we're going to we're probably going to change that name. It's the same, same person as we go along. Apart from Pentecost, I'd say that this, this um, story, this event in Acts in the history of the church is probably the, the second greatest event that's, that's happening. It's a major turning point in history. All up until now in Acts, we have God's spirit uh, working with the, the Jewish people. The Christianity is still very much attached to synagogue worship and the, the Jewish people in, even in Samaria and Judea, they're still sort of connected to this Jewish tradition. Uh, Even last week, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, even though he's from Africa, he went to Jerusalem to worship. So there's still some connection to here. But now, now we get into the point in the story where that's going to shift and, and the, and Christianity is going to spread outside of this connection to this religion into its own movement. And it starts with the Apostle Paul and his conversion. So Paul, greatest, humble servant of Christ, writes letters to the churches. He goes on missionary journeys. He becomes the greatest theologian and church influencer. Yet he wasn't always like this. Uh, in the, we first meet Saul in Acts 7 at the stoning of Stephen. He is there holding the clothes of those who are martyring Stephen. So in order to get a good throw in with your stone, you've got to take off your cloak so that you've got a good, good effort to do it. And Saul is sitting there holding the clothes. In other words, he's, he's approving of what's happening to Stephen. Uh, he is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is going after the church and trying to take them out. And in Acts 8, where it talks about persecution broke out in, in Jerusalem, it says that Saul was going house to house, terrorizing and trying to bring down the church. And here at the start of this passage in Acts chapter 9, it says this wonderful phrase, Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Breathing out. Now, actually translated, it's breathing in. So I don't know if you've ever told off someone and they go away and they talk to you under their breath. That's kind of the picture that we've got here of of Paul. In fact, the, the word means breathing out in order to breathing in in order to breathe out like a raging bull snorts before he charges so here we've got this raging bull of Saul he is angry he is determined he is filled with passionate zeal to take out this movement of christians to murder them to bring them into prison and to like so this is this is a fierce ferocious man who is dead set on doing something against uh, the Christian church. The first thing I want to say is, man, here is someone who you might think is way beyond saving. Don't ever write off the power of God or God's plan to save even those who you think are too far gone. Here is the Apostle Paul. Uh, in his early life, just angry, vicious, going to take him down. You think he's 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 too far gone, <laughs> but no. There was a great story on uh, conversations this week of a, a Vietnamese man who came. His parents were um, came to Australia, and as a young man, got into trouble and it was part of a gang. Uh, in and out of juvenile prison, uh, and, and he and his cousins were part of this vicious crime gang in Australia. And you might say this kind of person is too far gone, and yet he walks into a church one day at rock bottom, and he finds Jesus, and he becomes a pastor, and he's, he's now living a life reaching out to young people and, and t- telling them of the, the gospel of Jesus. No one is too far gone for the gospel to reach them. So he's breathing out threats and he's but question I want to ask. Was he authentic in what he was doing? Did he think he was doing the right thing? He did. As a Pharisee, he wanted to keep this religion pure. Here are these uh, threats against it, people, heresy against this religion that he is a part of, that he is proud of. And so he is righteously and with zeal doing what he thinks is right. He is sincere in his efforts. Yet you can be sincere and yet sincerely wrong, as we see here in the Apostle Paul, which is why I want to... Bring up those questions uh, week to week as we look at the at the at the book of Acts, and one of those questions is, "What are you challenged by? What are, what challenges your own thinking? Because Paul was had to be challenged. He thought he was right. In what ways do we think we are right? Perhaps in our theology or our uh, coming to, to church, in our, our role in it. Perhaps you're challenged by the theology of the Holy Spirit as we go through uh, this book of Acts and we see the power of the Spirit at work amongst the church. You can be sincere but sincerely wrong. And so Paul is on the charge. He's going at it and he asks for letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus. Now, Why Damascus, you might ask? Why doesn't he just go around Jerusalem? I mean, remember that the the apostles were in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria at this this time. Why go all the way up there on that long journey to that town in Damascus, you might ask? Well, Damascus was a, a trade town, a trade city, and it also had 40 synagogues in the town at that time. And so if you had a strategy to stop this movement, and remember it's connected to, to Judaism at the time. Remember Peter and John went to the temple to pray. They're still involved in the normal customs of Judaism. And so if, if, if this Christianity thing is going to spread, then it's going to pretend, potentially, in a town like Damascus, where there are a lot of synagogues, there are a lot of people uh, potentially going to this movement of Christianity and then as a trade route, going out into the neighbouring uh, countries and, and towns. This would be a place to stop the spread. <laughs> now, what's ironic, which is probably why Cathy laughed, is that he's going to stop the spread of the gospel yet he becomes the chief spreader of the gospel of Christ. In fact, I was thinking about this. He's on this road to arrest the Christians, and yet it is Jesus who comes to arrest him. Isn't that amazing and quite ironic? I think there's a sense of humour there. So, so he's on this road and he's almost to Damascus. I love the the drama that's happening here. <laughs> it doesn't happen before he goes. It's almost there and at last moment Jesus appears to him on the road in a dramatic and wow kind of a way. And this light flashed around him. The word, the the word there is like like lightning. But lightning we have in an instant, but this stood there for a moment. So this is this bright light, this Aura that's happening, and he fell to the ground. And he heard this voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He asked. He says, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I want you to take note of the fact that Jesus says who he is by saying that I am the person you are persecuting. Now, was Saul persecuting Jesus? Was he going out to arrest Jesus or the followers of Jesus or the church? Jesus here attaches himself to the church and to the church's suffering. You're persecuting me. It, as, as Paul goes out and, and has a go at the, the followers of Christ, they're actually having a go at Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus in the, the sheep and the goat says, to, as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me? Jesus identifies and attaches himself to his body, to the church. And that is such an encouraging thing for us as we go through this life, that we are not alone, either in suffering, or perhaps other circumstances that come our way in our life, Jesus isn't distant and and far off, but he attaches and identifies himself to that suffering and to that situation and circumstances. And he is there with us. What a beautiful picture. What an encouragement. But Saul here doesn't know Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul here doesn't have a clue who is speaking, which is really interesting. As a Pharisee, uh, the, and this isn't written in Scripture anywhere, but you would assume that Paul would have heard of Christ, would have perhaps been around, at maybe, maybe he's part of the Sanhedrin that was questioning him at his trial. He was pretty high up in, in, in that body of, of religious leadership. So he would have heard of Jesus. He would have perhaps heard his, even heard his voice. Yeah, Jesus appears to him, and he doesn't recognise who Jesus is. In John, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You see, the biggest thing here about Paul's conversion and his understanding that gets flipped on his head is that Paul is all about law and works and religion and moral uprightness. He doesn't understand that Jesus is about relationship. Jesus is about someone who can be known and who longs to be known. In fact, the way Jesus addresses Saul here as he's on his knees on the road to Damascus illustrates that point. He says, Saul Saul, why do you persecute me? Why didn't he just say Saul or oi? (laughs) He says Saul, Saul Do you know when you, in scripture, when a name is said twice, it It is, for one, to bring about attention, but secondly and most importantly, it is a a phrase that means intense relationship, intense intimacy. Saul, Saul, oh, mate. Saul, Saul. We see this all throughout Scripture. When Abraham's about to put the knife down on Isaac, the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham. When Jacob is, learns of Joseph's survival and is going to be brought into, recon- into reconciliation with his son, the Lord says, Jacob, Jacob, mate. When um, Moses is there at the burning bush, who are you, Lord? It is Moses, Moses. Relationship connection. When Samuel is in the house of Eli and he hears the voice of God, it is Samuel, Samuel. And in the New Testament, Jesus takes this concept on as he says in the house of Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, Martha's running around trying to get dinner ready and Mary's there at his feet and Martha complains. He says, Martha, Martha. At the Last Supper, they're having a discussion about who's the greatest and Simon Peter once again puts his mouth in it. Jesus turns to him at the table and says, Simon, Simon, mate. And probably the biggest example of all is Jesus himself on the cross. As he stands there, or doesn't stand, (laughs) as he's nailed there to the cross, taking upon the sin of the world, beaten and bruised, he calls out, Eloi, Eloi, which translates, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Christianity is about an intense relationship and intimacy of knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. And as Jesus calls each and every one of us, he says, Dennis, Dennis, back, back, David, David, Deborah, Deborah, Ange, Ange. This feels good. I can keep going. (laughs) I want to to do it to everyone. Hey, perhaps at the end you you might want to just come down and hear that voice of Jesus saying that to you. I love you. I love you so much. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. Saul, Saul. It's about relationship, not about religion. And so Paul completely changes his thinking and understands this at his conversion. Because if there was anyone who we could set up as a poster boy for, for the law, for works, it would be Paul. In fact, he himself... Says this in Philippians. He says, "If if someone thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the law, in the flesh, in works, I have more. Like I, I'm, I'm right up there. If there's ever an example of this working, of this being sufficient, of this being right, it's me. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, so I'm I'm in in there with all the customs. I'm the tribe of Benjamin." I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and in regard to the law, a Pharisee. So he's trained in in the ways of the law. As for zeal, as for passion, we saw that on the road as he set out, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Wow. Anyone say that of their life? Here's Paul who's faultless in the ways of the old covenant. So if ever there was some, some way that we could say, yep, this is the way to go, this is right, here's an example, Paul is that, yet let's go on reading. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, relationship. For whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, having righteousness not of my own that comes from the law, but of that which comes through faith in Christ. I want to know Christ. See, Paul was all about the law, all about religion. In fact, he he would have gone saying, Your law is sufficient for me. That would have been his song. And yet now in this conversion, he completely changes his understanding. It's not religion, it's relationship. And so Saul is here and he is in shock. I'm going to skip over some things. Actually, I'll just quickly mention, a lot of the time, <laughs> a lot of the time Paul tries to defend his apostleship Uh, You might remember uh, when the disciples back in Acts wanted to replace Judas, there needed to be certain requirements to an apostle. They had to have known Jesus. Jesus had to appear with them and Jesus Jesus had to commission them. Um, And so Paul in in Galatians and in Corinthians, he says uh, when he talks about how the risen Lord appeared to the 12 and then to the 500 and then to the brother of James, and he appeared to me also. So what he's saying here in his conversion is that Jesus actually appeared to him as a risen Christ. And, and he's also saying in Galatians, he says, uh, I received this call from Christ alone. I didn't have to go through some sort of um, school or special, um, you know, thing from the apostles, no, Jesus commissioned me to this call. And so he's often trying to defend himself as as an apostle. I'm going to just skip over that bit. But But Saul is in shock. He is there for three days not being able to eat or drink. Now, for all of you Bible scholars, what other thing happened for three days in the history of Christianity There is a significant moment. And here Saul is without life in a way, without able to eat or drink before something happens to him which resurrects him to his call and to the life that he has, similar picture that we have of Christ being resurrected from the dead. So in Damascus, verse 10 There was a disciple named Ananias. Now we have gone from seeing the apostles at work to seeing deacons at work, Stephen and Philip last week, and now we see an everyday, ordinary disciple named Ananias. And Ananias is going to be involved in this process of bringing Paul into his call to ministry. And I just love that. Why didn't God just skip the middle man? Why didn't he just have his conversion there on the road and then set him on his way? Because I think the Lord loves to use his people in his work. And if there's any encouragement from this, this story, is that of Ananias, an ordinary, everyday disciple, just like you just like me, who participates in the work of God in his salvation plan for history. You and I are called to that same ministry like Ananias. Again, it's pretty ironic that he's from the town that he's about to go and wreak havoc in. He's there to, to bring destruction, and yet it's from that place that he finds his freedom. There's this this disciple named Ananias, obviously a different Ananias from Acts chapter 5 with Sapphira because he's no longer with us. (laughs) Different Ananias, same, same name. But Ananias is dubious. He's questioning this to go to this place on Straight Street and find this guy and lay hands on him. Hang on a minute. Isn't this the guy? Paul's got a reputation and it's gone out throughout the land. Christians are aware of this guy who's coming out to get him. You want me to go to his house, (laughs) lay hands on him? Last week we talked about getting out of our comfort zones. Talk about an example right here. Ananias questioned the Lord, are you sure? Sometimes we question the Lord in what he's calling us to, don't, don't we? Yet the Lord sets him straight. The Lord says to Ananias, probably one of the most important commands we see all throughout Scripture, it's one word, go. Go. And so Ananias is faithful in that, and he goes. But you can understand he's he's kind of... Bit tentative. Imagine I'm trying to think of a similar scenario. Imagine the head of ISIS becomes a Christian, and we're, invi- we're we put up on the announcements, "Hey, next week, this guy coming to preach at Hills Christian Family Center." Who's going to rock up? <laughs> right? It's probably a bit of like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" Yet yeah, we see this beautiful picture of a changed life. Paul has gone from murderous threats, a raging bull, to being humble and being open to the point where he's lowered out of a basket down a wall. Talk about humiliating for a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yet he's willing to do that for the sake of Christ. And so Ananias goes to him and the Lord says to him, go, and in verse 15, this is my chosen instrument or my vessel or my tool. See, Paul was set up in his life for this ministry. He was the perfect person to use for spreading the message to the Gentiles. Let's just have a quick look at, at some of the, the things in Paul's life. How was he his chosen vessel? Well, he was raised in Tarsus, again, another trading town where different cultures, uh, different people groups would come and mingle. and so he's used to people of different culture very different to that perhaps of Peter and the other disciples that were very uncomfortable with people of a different culture. And in Tarsus uh, at that time, it was the biggest university. It wasn't Athens or Rome or or anywhere else. It was in Tarsus. And so there's amazing training and and he had the equivalent of two PhDs by the time he, we, we see him here. So he's highly educated and because of that he knew the Scriptures back to front. So talk about he, he argued, it says, in Damascus with the, the Jews and he convinced them. How did he convince them? Because he, he opened the Scriptures to them and said, look at the, the what's, what's happening here. He was a Roman citizen and, of course, that comes in handy later on when he's in prison. He has certain uh, legal rights that other people wouldn't have had. Uh, he's bilingual. He would have uh, known Aramaic being, being a Jew but also a Greek um, and he wrote in Greek. Uh, being a Roman citizen, we're assuming he would have had um, uh, Latin. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so so he's, he's bilingual. And we, we know from his other uh, uh, epistles that he, he sees his singleness as a gift. He doesn't have this pull back to look after his family or or, or the need to, to provide. He's able to be free to go and to travel because he's single. Now, this is this is Paul's makeup that allows him to be the instrument that God chooses to use to send the message to the Gentiles. Now, we are not all called to be Paul. Yet we all have a makeup. We all have a story. We all have gifts. We all have circumstances. We all have uh, things that are part of our life that are our makeup for ministry and calling to be like Ananias and go. So Paul is set up. In fact, C.S. Lewis talks about this passage of scripture, like a chess game, and Jesus says to Paul, checkmate, (laughs) done. And he is to be an instrument, it says there in verse 15, to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now note that the Gentiles are never first on a list of people groups until now. Things are changing, and thankfulness to that we as Gentiles have received the grace of God. So just skipping over a number of things, we, we, he's in Damascus, he preaches, and then it says he, he tries to go back to Jerusalem. Now, sometimes we read in Acts just like a story and we think, well, oh, that happened next week. It's actually three years passes where Paul is in Damascus and ministering there, so he, he stays there. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He's there for three years and he's ministering, he's arguing in the synagogues with the Jewish people and he's convincing people that Jesus is the Messiah. And after three years he comes to back to Jerusalem and he wants to connect with the apostles, he wants to connect with the church and the disciples. Yet there's still this sense of, oh, do we trust him? Even though he's spent three years doing these things and that news would have spread. There's still this hesitancy to to join in with the church. Uh, but thank the Lord for Barnabas. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He is the guy that connected the, the church with Paul. He's the one who says, "I believe in you." He's the one that says, "Oh, there's something in you. Give it a go." Keep going. I've got you. We need Barnabases in the church. Those encouraging words to one another. You've got this. I believe in you. You can do it. <coughs> You've got this. You've fallen down. Stand up. Keep going. That was Barnabas. And that's what Barnabas did for the Apostle Paul in bringing him into fellowship. It was him that trusted in Paul and said, "Give him a go." Give him a go. And so as we come to the end of this passage, I want to ask a question we we'll started at the start, who is the greatest in all these things? Who is the hero of Acts chapter 9 besides Jesus? Is it Paul? I want to say there's two heroes in this story. That's Ananias and Barnabas. Because without Ananias, Paul might have still been there blind and unable to eat and wondering what on earth had just happened to him. See, we're not all called to be Paul. We might not touch thousands or millions of people with the gospel Yet we might be called to touch one who then becomes that person that reaches all those people. See, Ananias was the one that ministered to Paul, and because of that, Paul was able to minister to the millions. Who is that one in your life that you're called to minister to that the Lord might enable to become the next Billy Graham, to touch millions and millions of lives? In the world. We need Ananias. He was a hero. And we need Barnabas Because without Barnabas, Paul might have still been ministering on his own, not connected to the church. And if he wasn't connected to the church, he wouldn't have been able to write his letters to the church that become our New Testament, become our passages of scripture that we look to and study. So we need our Ananias' And our barnabases, but I want to finish this morning before we just open this up to perhaps some ministry time for the Lord to speak to you and touch your life this morning. I want to go to Acts twenty-two because that's another example of Paul's conversion. Because here we have a bit more information. In Acts 9, Luke is recording it as a historical thing. Here he's recording it as Paul's testimony as he's speaking. And Paul says, I was born a Jew. I was brought up in the city. I studied under says, I got it wrong. He's the same uh, guy, by the way, who said leave these people alone and let, if it, they might fade out. Uh, in, in the Acts. So he, he was known and trained, so he's fully trained in the law of our ancestors. I was zealous for God, as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way, arresting them, and then I was on the road, and about noon near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, why do you per- persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord. There's two questions I want to ask us this morning that are questions that Saul asked. Who are you, Lord? This is a question that every single human being has to answer in their life. Who is Jesus? Because if you don't answer that and if you don't sort that question out now, There's going to be a time when that question is going to be answered for you. For every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So who is the Lord? Who is Jesus? Is he a good teacher? Is he just someone that we we look to and is inspired by? Or is he the one that comes to us and says our name to us? I want... To love you, I want to be in relationship with you and I want to change your life I want to call you into something that's beautiful now there was another time in scripture where this double name happened, in Matthew 7, many would say to me on that day Lord, Lord didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform miracles Then I'll tell them plainly, I never Knew you. See, following Jesus isn't about doing, it's about knowing Christ, about being in relationship with Him. Who are you, Lord? Have you sorted that question out this morning? Perhaps you need to come back to that question. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you? Who are you in my life? And as He responded to that question, Saul asked another question. What do you want me to do? And we want to ask that question this morning. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm not called to be Paul. Maybe I'm called to be Ananias. Maybe I'm called to be Barnabas. Maybe I'm called to something different. What's your shape? What's your background? What is God leading you in this morning as to participate in his life in the world? You know, for Paul, before his conversion, he said, What can I do to Christ? After his conversion, it was, What can I do for Christ? And I just want to end with a quote. You can't sincerely say, Your kingdom come until you're willing to say, My kingdom go. (laughs) To give up our self and our ways in order to be led to what he has for us in his kingdom.
2: Thank you, Sam. Um, We're going to have a time of ministry now, as I've said earlier. While the band plays some music and we sing along, just a great opportunity for us to respond to those questions. And you may have a thumping in the heart or a spiritual prompt that says come out the front and receive some prayer. Alternatively, you may not, but what's God asking you and how you might minister to others around you? So I want to encourage, if there's someone on your mind or you have a prayer at home for somebody or you want to send a text to somebody that needs encouragement or you have a thought you want to share, ministry time is about... Participation and fellowship together. So we're just going to continue in the worship um, with the song and, yeah, I just want to invite you. If you want to come forward or you, you've got someone in your mind you're sitting next to you, maybe God's placed someone next to you this morning that you don't normally sit next to but you, you felt you want to have a chat. Um, let's just do that now. someone, or you just want to shout out a a word of praise to the Lord, let me just encourage you again, if you want to get out of your seat and uh, share that with someone, just go for it. Thank you, Jesus. just so thankful that you take the broken and mend it you can use us in powerful ways that we may not even realise and it doesn't take our effort to bring that about but you just meet us on the road like you did with Paul Holy Spirit we just we are, we are open we are open for business and we want to know what is next in our lives for you, how we can serve you better, how we can be part of what you're doing I just pray for this uh, congregation as we move out that we can continue to fellowship and be part of what you're doing and listen to your spirit, that you will have powerful impact in our lives, that, Lord, we can uh, just trust, trust that you've got this, that you have purpose for each and every one of us, that you want to outwork your spirit and that we can uh, yeah, be participating in your work, Lord. It's exciting work. We want to be part of it. Bless you, Jesus. Amen. Well, we'll keep uh, the space open here. If anyone wants to have some prayer, please come out the front and we'll pray for you. Uh, We've always got the prayer room at the back there. Uh, But if you do have a word of encouragement, let me encourage you again. Share it with someone. Um, Sometimes it takes a bit of a step of faith to do that, I understand. Um, But yeah, look, we really want to encourage you and bless you. So thank you so much. Thanks, team. Thanks, Sam. Uh, We'll close it here. And uh, yeah, hope you have a fantastic week. Thank you all.